I'm going to read the first two verses again. Now in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This morning we began going through the Pauline epistles, looking at instances that refer to the kingdom of Christ. We looked at words like kingdom or king or reign. And our proposition for the understanding of the kingdom and the king in the Pauline epistles is that the kingdom is presently heavenly. It is not on earth. Christ Jesus, the Lord, is at the right hand of God where he presently rules from that sovereign position. And we learn that there is a heavenly Jerusalem. And Jerusalem, this is the true Jerusalem, the one that is in heaven, the one that's not built with human hands, but built by God. That is where his throne is. We learn that the kingdom is not on earth, and the church itself is not the kingdom. And the way I worded it this morning was, is that the nature of the future kingdom has come to every believer in Christ in measure. Having some discussions with some of you and thinking through, probably the better term would be the fruit of the future kingdom has come to every believer in Christ in measure. And that's just trying to keep a little bit more closely with the wording of our New Testament and in the passages that we'll look at, Lord willing, uh, this afternoon. We do have a down payment on the inheritance of that kingdom, and the down payment is the gift of the Holy Spirit. But it is only a down payment. The fullness of that Spirit, the fullness of our being conformed into the image of Christ, the actual arrival of the earthly kingdom of Jesus Christ to this earth is still future. And we as the church and we as believers are eagerly waiting for the appearing of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we learned this morning that when He appears, the kingdom also will appear during that same coming. So in the meantime, we having the first fruits of the Spirit are to walk worthy of this calling. We've been called into the kingdom, this future kingdom. So we're to walk worthy of that calling, and we walk worthy of that calling when we have the mindset of the Spirit, when we bear the fruit of the Spirit, and when we walk in the Spirit. And the church of Jesus Christ, Ephesians 5.17, is to be filled with who? We're to be filled with the Spirit. In other words, the fruit of that future kingdom should be not only in us, but be exhibited among us. And what a gift that is. We have a hope. The hope of His blessed coming. And that hope involves His kingdom. So I told you that that I had 12 truths or 12 categories of things 
And being a good preacher, I didn't tell you number one, number two, number three, number four as I went through. But now going into a teacher mode, I'll give you the first one. The first one is what we've already mentioned is that the Lord Jesus Christ is presently reigning. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 24 through 25. The second truth that we can glean from the Pauline epistles is that the Lord Jesus Christ is the King. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 17. And that both Christ and the kingdom will appear at the proper time. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 15. So those two are together under the second truth. The third truth that we looked at this morning is really a horrific truth. And that is there are people who will not be inheriting this future on earth kingdom of God. And those passages included 1 Corinthians 6 verses 9 through 10, Galatians chapter 5 verses 19 through 21, and Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 5. And we concluded this morning by noting that though we might have fears, it is your Father's good pleasure. This brings Him pleasure to give to believing people the what? The kingdom. It is His good pleasure. And thanks be to God for that. So we need not have fears. Number four, and I want us to turn to the book of Romans chapter 14. Book of Romans chapter 14. Number four is that in this present age, we need to understand that the kingdom is not material or it's not earthy. In this present age, the age of the what? Church. The kingdom is not material nor earthy. And in Romans chapter 14, if you recall, there was an issue between believers concerning food and drink, and ritualistic days. And Paul addresses this issue of food and drink, and he says, verse 10, why do you judge your brother? Or again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? Because we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, As it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue will give praise to God. Verse 12, So then, each one of us will give an account of himself to God. That is, we're going to give an account to God for our positions that we take. Whether you believe that you can eat all things or whether you believe that you must keep the dietary law, we're going to give an account of this to the Lord. So he says, 
Don't judge anyone anymore concerning this, verse 13, Romans 14. And don't put an obstacle or a stumbling block in your brother's way. Verse 15. <clears throat> Do not destroy with your food him for who Christ died. Verse 16. Do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. Now note verse 17. Why? For the kingdom of God is not what? It's not eating and drinking. Does everybody see that? In other words, it's not material. That's what food is. You can hold it with your hands. You can taste it with your mouth. You can ingest it in your body. It's not material. It's not drinking. It's not putting liquid into a vessel and taking it into your body to hydrate it. That's not what the kingdom of God is all about. They were making a big deal about food and drink. What is the kingdom of God about in this present age? Verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, brethren, let me ask you, righteousness, peace, and joy. What is joy? It is a what of the Spirit. It is a fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? Peace. What is that? It is a fruit of the, of the Spirit. Everybody see that? And righteousness also is a fruit of the Spirit. So what he's saying here is this. Now the kingdom of God in the church age is not material, it's not earthy, it's not on earth. The church is not the kingdom. But the fruit of the kingdom, the fruit of the Spirit is with us. And what we really need to major on is walking in the fruit of that Spirit. And here he singles out righteousness, Peace among brethren, joy in the Holy Spirit. Now note verse 18. For he who is in this way, what way? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. He who is in this way serves who? Christ. Everybody see that? The person who is emphasizing the fruit of the Spirit, maturing in the fruit of the Spirit, growing in the mindset of the Spirit, growing and maturing in the walk of the Spirit of Christ, that's the one who is at serving Christ, now note again, verse 18, is acceptable to who? To God. That person is acceptable to God. And also approved by who? Of other men. Specifically, we know that that's not like every man would approve that. But even Pilate himself saw that there was something different in the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't want it. He didn't desire it. He didn't want it in his life. 
but he saw it in someone else. And you know people that are that way. They appreciate you walking in the Spirit, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, love, sacrificial, right, diligence. They appreciate that, but they don't what? They, they don't want it. They don't want to be born again, submit to the reign of Christ, see Christ rule in their life. But they do appreciate it seeing in you because it is so different from people of darkness and how they walk. So what do we know here in number four is that in the church age, the kingdom is not earthy, it's not material, but it is present in the fruit of the Spirit. And a believer who is involved in pursuing that serves Christ and is acceptable to God. And that's what we want, don't we? We, we want to be pleasing to the Lord, to the King of Kings. Number five, let's turn to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians <clears throat> chapter 4. You'll recall in this book that perhaps of all the churches in our New Testament, <coughs> the Corinthian church was the most carnal church. And in their carnality, they did not see themselves as carnal. They saw themselves as spiritual. And they actually became arrogant and exalted their assembly over all the other apostolic churches. And so Paul has to deal with this. And as you recall, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he talks about how God is going to destroy arrogancy. Now think about it. Here's a church that's arrogant. King James, don't you like this? You're puffed up. Here's a church that is arrogant, prideful, puffed up. And Paul starts out by saying, I'm just quoting from the Old Testament, God has committed himself to destroying pride and arrogancy and being puffed up. And then he goes in and contrasts the wisdom of the world, which the Corinthian church had embraced, and the wisdom of Christ. And that the power... The power comes through the gospel and it comes through the preaching of the cross of Christ. That's interesting that he uses that phrase. And he goes on and develops this when he talks about that when I came to you, I came to you in weakness. That's a cross, right? Trembling, that's a cross, right? And yet... He preached the gospel, people were born again, and a church was established. That's the power of God. It didn't come through human wisdom. It didn't come through human manipulation. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, he addresses those within the congregation that were seeking to downplay Paul's authority and Paul's message and he says, verse 19, But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, 
And I shall find out not the words of those who are arrogant. So is Paul looking for fine speeches and fine arguments? Yes or no? No. What's he looking for? I shall find out not the words of those who are arrogant, but their power. Why is Paul looking for power? Verse 20, because the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. Everybody see that? So number, <clears throat> number six, excuse me, what number am I on? Number five, in this present age, the kingdom of God is not only not material and earthy, but the kingdom of God is, not, is also not in pervasive human rhetoric. That's what we tend to look for. Nor is it in oratory. And I'm extending it now. Nor is it in mere knowledge. And just pause here, go over to 1 Corinthians 8, and you'll see that he tackles this when he says, verse 1, Now concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know we all have knowledge. But if that's all you have, if all you have is knowledge with no what? No what? Power. If all you have is knowledge, knowledge makes you arrogant. But what builds us up? Love. And I'm going to pause here because I'm just making the same thing all the way through. Is love a fruit of the Spirit? Yes. It's the power of a changed life bearing fruit for His glory that edifies. Mere knowledge can make us prideful. And I'm sure that if we all sit and think about it, we can think about all the knowledge that we gained as a new believer and walking with the Lord, and then 20 years later you go through something and you have to put the knowledge into practice and you need the power thereof. And really, you knew the knowledge, but you hadn't experienced it, right? You haven't put it into application. So the kingdom of God is not material. It's not food and drink. It's not the Lord's table. Isn't that food and drink? It's not earthy. It doesn't consist in pervasive human rhetoric, my ability to convince you, or fine human oratory. That's what the Corinthians were looking for. Paul did not have that. Nor is it in mere knowledge. 1 Corinthians 13 says, if you have all knowledge and all faith, but you don't have what? Love? You're empty. It's also not, the kingdom of God is not 
merely the sign gifts. And you remember they were arguing over giftedness. And Paul says, look, let me show you a more excellent way. What way is that? The way of love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, last verse in chapter 12. Love is a fruit of the Spirit. So brethren, the kingdom of God consists in power. We won't turn to it. I may mention this in another message. But you remember when Jesus was casting out devils and the Pharisees accused Him of casting out devils by Beelzebub. And He says, if I cast out devils by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come. Now it had come in the presence of the, of the king. In other words, what he's saying there is this, the kingdom of God consists in power. And the power that we're looking for is not the sign gifts, it's not rhetoric, it's not oratory, it's not material, it's not earthy. The power that we're looking for is the fruit of the Spirit of God in a person. This is the work that the Gospel is designed to bring out in people. They are to be saved, justified, and they are to be sanctified, set apart for God, owned by God, and then they are to walk in the what? In the Spirit. And folks, this is what the Gospel does. It makes us new creations in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away. Behold, everything's new. We have a different mindset. We have a different walk. We have a different motive. Is it perfect? No. Does it need to grow? Amen. And the more you grow, the more imperfect you'll think you are. But it's there, and you didn't do it. It wasn't by your human effort. It was by the working of the Spirit of God through the divine precious promises working inside in your inner man. That's the power of God. And folks, that's not very overt. That's not very spectacular. The world will attribute it to your own human effort and will. But it is the power of God. <clears throat> and folks, when Paul says in chapter 2 of this book, <clears throat> when he says, verse 2, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my message and my preaching was not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. This is what he's talking about. He preached the gospel, and the Holy Spirit worked through those precious promises of the gospel, and the work and merit of Jesus Christ, and it reached people, and they accepted it, and they were changed. 
He demonstrated this. He demonstrated the gospel when he was with them in weakness and fear and trembling. And the power came to those who heard it and they partook of the fruit of the same nature. That's what is going on in this present age. And folks, this is what for many, many decades I learned early in my ministry that this is what I was to look for in people. It wasn't how many verses they could quote, although verses, quoting verses is good. Amen? It, it's not in their good manners. Good manners ought to be. It's not if they could win Bible trivia and show off their Bible knowledge. It's not if they could give you 50 proofs on the Trinity. Although all that would be good. I wish I could give 50 of them. Just right off the top of my head. But what we're looking for is the power. And the power is expressed when a person is regenerated, when they are converted, given new life, the life of God in the soul of man, and then progressively... They grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. That's what you want to look for. All the other things can be misleading. That's what you want to look for in a pastor. That's what you want to look for in a deacon. That's what you want to look for in a Sunday school teacher or a youth group or a nursery. Now, I realize nursery isn't going to show a lot of signs of this, but you get to. This is what the church is. The power of God is present here through the preaching of the Word that effectually works inside of one another to the glory of God. And a pastor should be exhibiting that. You should be able to tell that he's growing, that he's maturing. And folks, if he's growing and maturing, what it means is he's not already perfect. And in case you don't know, neither are you. <laughs> We're all immature. And the best of us only have a down payment of that future coming kingdom. Number six. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 <clears throat> and verse 50. <clears throat> now I say this, brethren that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Now, brethren, this really helps us understand that the kingdom of God is not now present. It is to be inherited But what we know, number six, is that nothing perishable, nothing mortal, no flesh and blood, nothing tarnished by sin of death, 
or touch with human hands will come into the possession of the kingdom of God. Nothing. And I've expanded the phrase inherit. What does it mean to inherit something? It means to come into the possession of it. So folks, this flesh and blood, your flesh and blood, can that flesh and blood enter into the kingdom of God? No. It cannot. Just like a lost person can't enter into the kingdom of God, they must be born again. Who does the birthing? God. Nothing perishable, nothing mortal, no flesh and blood, nothing tarnished by sin or death or human hands will come into the possession of the kingdom of God. And folks, all the saints have looked forward to this. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, it says of Abraham, He looked for a city not built with human what? But whose architect and builder is God. That's an amazing statement, isn't it? Here's an Old Testament saint. He's looking for a city, isn't he? And he's not looking for a city here on earth. What he's anticipating is this city whose architect, the one who built the plans, and the one who is constructing it, is God. Is there such a place? We call it the heavenly Jerusalem. <coughs> Will that heavenly Jerusalem one day be not that heavenly Jerusalem, not on this earth, but in a new heavens and new earth where is only dwelling righteousness? The answer to that is what? Yes. Folks, even this present creation can't enter into the new heavens and new earth. It has to be birth. It has to be destroyed with fire, reconstituted by the Word of God, so that all the sin, all the perishable, all the corruptible, all the death, all the curse will be gone. Hallelujah. Who's architecting the new heaven and new earth? God. Who's going to construct it? God. Not man. And one day that city that He's constructed will be on earth and God will dwell with men. That's amazing. When man brought sin into this present creation, it was corrupted beyond repair. And God's repairing it. New creation, new people. Not the first Adam, but the second Adam. Not the earthly Jerusalem, but the heavenly Jerusalem. Not the present heavens and the present earth, but a new heaven, new earth. A new creation. And He's going to do it. 
And Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection guaranteed it. It's done. It's just not... It's not yet. <laughs> but we're persuaded of it. And so we live for another time and another place just like Abraham did. The victory over the corruptible occurred through our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17, 57. But thanks be to God who, all, who gives us the victory. It's a gift through our Lord Jesus Christ. He did it, amen? And when He did it, He sat down at the very right hand of God. Number seven, Colossians chapter one. Colossians chapter one. <clears throat> Paul prays for the believers at the church at Colossae, beginning in verse nine. And he prays for them that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. He wants them to understand with application so that, verse 10, they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So that, verse 10, they would please Him in all respects. Verse 10, that they would be bearing what? Fruit in every good work, and that they would be increasing in the knowledge of God, verse 11, strengthened with all power to do this, according to His glorious might, to the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father, all that is through the Spirit, who has qualified us to share. To share in what? In the inheritance. The inheritance that belongs to the saints in light. Everybody see that? Verse 13. Because... God the Father rescued us from the domain. The word domain there is a word that could be translated authority. That's what domain means. You may even have it in a margin in your Bible. For He rescued us from the authority of what? What did we get saved from the authority of? Darkness. Now we know from other passages that the darkness is a kingdom ruled by the evil one. He rescued us from the authority of darkness and transferred us to the what? Kingdom of His dear Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, and He's the image of the invisible God. Now folks, the understanding of verse 13, 
I'm going to fill in some blanks here to keep it in context. The church has not been, as it were, repositioned on earth into the kingdom. The kingdom is not here. We've already seen an abundance of passages that talk about that. What's going on here? He saved us from the authority of the domain of darkness. Now let's pause. Are we still in the kingdom of darkness here? The church is the light, but this earth is under the domain and the authority of the evil one. We're still where? We're still here right now. But he's delivered us from the authority of that darkness. And he transferred us to the understood authority of what? The kingdom of his dear son. Now let me ask you this. Is the church under the authority of Christ? Is he the head of the body, the church? Amen. Now granted, in Christ, we are seated in heavenly places in Christ. But he's telling this church, look at what God did through Christ. You were saved from the authority of darkness, and now you are under the authority of his beloved son, the Messiah or the Lord, or the King. And folks, we are under that authority presently. And here's the fascinating thing. Every believer shares in that. We don't have believers that like are still under the authority of darkness, but not under the authority of Christ. We are sharers of this. And we are under that authority. And what we are to be doing is to be filled with His knowledge, to walk a worthy walk, to be bearing the fruit of the Spirit, and to be strengthened with all power. This is what Paul's praying. And the evidence of that will be fruit. And you'll notice what he says in verse 6 of Colossians chapter 1. This gospel has come to you just as in all the world. Also, it is consistently bearing what? Fruit. There's the fruit. (coughs) And increasing even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. So there's the power of God. Comes to us. We bear fruit. And folks, isn't this what the seed in the sower is all about? The sower goes forth and casts seed. Where is the seed cast? Where is it cast? In the heart. And when it lands in a prepared good heart, it bears 
fruit. Everybody hear that? That's part of the mystery of the kingdom of heaven. And folks, we all share in that. We have various maturities, various understandings, different levels of mindset, different levels of a mature walk, but we all share in that common thing of what Christ has done in us. We have been transferred from the authority of darkness understood to the authority of His beloved Son. And one day we will stand before Him and we'll see Him face to face and when that happens, we will see Him as He is and we will be like Him. What a blessing. Number 8. Colossians chapter 4, verse 11. <clears throat> Epaphras, excuse me, verse 11. And also Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only fellow workers for the what? For the kingdom of God. Everybody see that? Colossians chapter 4, verse 11. It can be said that ministers labor on behalf of that future kingdom. How do we do that? We preach the cross, we preach the gospel. It's the power of God and the salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Pastors, pastor, a gathered body of believing people, and their goal is for us to be walking in the Spirit and to be bringing forth the fruit that is due to Christ. It's not just fruit in seeing people saved, although we need to do that and we need to open our mouths more in that occasion. But it is the fruit of conformity to His image. Presently, the Gospel is calling out a people for His namesake. It is calling out a people... Now listen to what Jesus told the Jews. He said, I am taking away the kingdom of God from you. And I'm going to give it to a people who will bear the fruit thereof. Does everybody hear that? And this is exactly what's in the Sermon on the Mount. He just says, look, either make the tree good or the tree bad. Either bring forth good fruit or bad fruit. Because fruitfulness is the evidence of the power of God in the church age. Again, the kingdom is not here. The kingdom is yet future. The church is not the kingdom. But do we, are we to be bearing the fruit of that kingdom? And the answer to that is yes. We are to be preparing ourselves for entrance into that kingdom, just like Peter said we looked at this morning. Number nine, 1 Thessalonians, <clears throat> probably the next page over, chapter two. <clears throat> Paul speaks of exhorting and 
imploring each one of those in that church as a father would his own children. Verse 12, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into His kingdom and glory. Number nine, believers have been called into this kingdom and glory. And because of that, our walk and our behavior is to be reflective of this calling into this future kingdom. Number 10, book of 2 Thessalonians, a couple of pages over, chapter 1. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, this church had been under great suffering and persecution. He mentions that in verse 4. He talks about their perseverance. <clears throat> That's a fruit of the Spirit. He talks about their faith. That's a fruit of the Spirit. In the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you are enduring. Verse 5. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which indeed you are suffering. We are not reigning as kings. When I was in college, <clears throat> I didn't know any better. My first exposure after being born again was to charismatic Christianity. And they had a club for young people called the King's Kids. That sounds reasonable, doesn't it? Are we children of the king? So they had a thing called the king's kids. And the whole thing of the king's kids is that we would reign as king's children. <laughs> and that included no sickness and everything else that involved in all the signs and things that the Lord did. You could cast out demons and all kinds of things because you were a child of the... You're a child of the king. So I had a little t-shirt, it was red, had King's Kids on it, and I used it for witnessing and conversation starting. So the problem is, we are children of the King, but in this present age, we're not reigning. We're suffering. That's not very appealing to people. But this is what he says. If we're going to be counted worthy of the kingdom to which we are being called into, we are going to share in the sufferings of Christ. And this is what Acts chapter 14, verse 22. When Paul revisited the churches that he started, this is, what, this is one of the things that he taught. That we... Believers must suffer tribulation to enter into the kingdom of God. That's what he taught them. Now that tribulation can include from martyrdom, that's the ones that we like to mention, all the way down to just being shamed and somebody laughs at you because you're a Christian or you're stand. Number 10, the church suffers as part of our worthy walk. 
The measure and the degree of our suffering is dependent upon the Lord. Number 11, 2 Timothy chapter 4. These are our last two. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Paul is about to be put to death. Tradition says that he was escorted out of the city of Rome to a place outside the city. There was an executioner with a sword. Paul would have gotten on his knees, put his head, as it were, upon a block of stone. And outside that city, that sword would come down and hopefully cut off his head. There were times when the first blow didn't succeed in executing the person and they had to be, as it were, hacked again. And Paul was with Christ. He's in jail. He's awaiting this. He has fought the good fight. He's kept the faith. And he tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge, the living and the dead, and by His what? Appearing, what's associated with His appearing? His kingdom, that by His appearing in kingdom, that's pretty strong exhortation, isn't it? Timothy, preach the word in light of that coming kingdom. This is a solemn charge to you. And you're to do it and be ready in season, out of season. You're to reprove, you're to rebuke, you're to exhort with great patience and instruction. And folks, we live in a day where nobody wants preaching that reproves, nobody wants preaching or individual confrontation that rebukes. We'll take a little exhortation, but basically all we want is instruction. Number 11. Timothy is charged in light of the future kingdom of Christ and His appearing to preach the Word. And Paul is in that prison cell. And this person who is taking down these words, there's no indication that Paul wrote this epistle with his own hands. He would have signed it with his own hand with very large letters because he couldn't what? He couldn't see. He talks about his trial. Verse 16, he talks about Alexander the coppersmith who brought damaging accusations against him. Verse 16, at my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me may it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me 
He strengthened Paul so that Paul could make known the proclamation of the gospel. So that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. Now note verse 18. We're within three verses of Paul's last words. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed. You believe that? The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely. Where? Into the heavenly kingdom. To Him be glory forever and ever. Amen. There is, a, there is a heavenly kingdom. And there is a future kingdom on earth just like the promises were given to Israel. The church is not the kingdom. But we have been given the fruit of the Spirit, which is a down payment on the character of that future kingdom. And folks, He who is able to save us from sin and death is the same one who will save us from every evil deed. You say, yeah, but but they're going to chop His head off. But to be absent from the body is to be with the who? The Lord. Was He rescued from death? Yes. And will that body come out of the grave? Amen. He'll rescue me from every evil deed. It may look like the evil deed is winning, but it's not. And by His grace, by the King of kings and Lord of lords, He will, He will, He will bring me. He's going to bring me into that kingdom in heaven. And I'm going to walk through those gates not built with human hands. And I'm going to see Him. And when I see Him, I will be like Him. How long will we be there? His kingdom has no end. We will be with Him forever and ever. Now I want us to take our Bibles and turn back to the book of Matthew chapter 26. Because we are about to enjoy the Lord's table. This is a momentous occasion when Jesus instituted this table. And in Matthew 26, verse 26, after having celebrated the Passover, while they were eating, Jesus took some bread. And after a blessing, He broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. 
And when he had taken the cup and given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. And then he said this, But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Everybody see that? Jesus drank of that cup and He gave that cup to His disciples. And when He says this fruit of the vine, He's talking about that earthly cup and that earthly drink. And He said to them, I'm not going to do this again until I do it newly with you in My Father's kingdom. There is debate about what that means. But I think 1 Corinthians really helps us. Because 1 Corinthians, we'll read it in just a few moments, says, as often as you drink this cup and partake of this bread, you are proclaiming the Lord's what? Death until He comes. Everybody hear that? So I take this to mean that when He says, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom, I take that to be the second coming and the kingdom to be on earth. And this was widely anticipated by the Jews. It was called a messianic banquet. And of course, Jesus talked about that banquet in the mysteries of the kingdom. So did He institute the Lord's table? Did He drink of the fruit of that vine? He will not drink of that fruit of the vine until His coming. When He sets forth this table, and He says in the book of Matthew that many are going to come from the north and the east and the south and the west, speaking of Gentile people, and they will sit at that banquet. I don't know everything about that banquet, but I know this, He's not partaking of the fruit of the vine until that day in which He comes and He lays out that messianic banquet in His kingdom. And then we will partake with Him at that table. Now what happens in between those two instances? The church, the disciples of Christ, (coughs) celebrate in anticipation of that future banquet. 
because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So let's bow our heads and close our eyes and let's keep these things in mind as the men come to prepare the table.